Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, James chapter 5. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there are some on the tables in the lobby. Please take one, use it, put it back, keep it, give it to someone else who needs it. Whatever the case may be, you're welcome to a copy of God's Word. I wanted to say before I begin teaching, I am going to uh, talk about praying for one another as we continue this series, One Another, this morning focusing on prayer. If you are someone who in your prayer life struggles, uh, because I would ask for a show of hands, but it is without a doubt the greatest struggling discipline within all of Christianity, that is prayer. We struggle at it. How do we do it? Is it effective? Does God listen? Like we, we just struggle. We doubt uh, there are some resources on the table in the lobby when you first come in, little signs that say free so that nobody has to wonder, do I, what do I do? Just take them, please. Uh, but there are two books out there. One is a little bit thicker, uh, and it is called Praying the Bible, and it was an outstanding resource in my own life to learn how to read the scripture and then pray back the scripture to God. Um, so if, if you're interested in that, if you're, I'd like to grow in my prayer life. There's no greater way to pray than to dig into God's word and pray the prayers that God's word reveals from his people back to him, to pray his word back to him. I would challenge you, if you want to grow in your prayer life, to take that. Or perhaps you're here this morning, you're like, Pastor, I don't want to pray. I don't desire to pray. You're welcome. I'll, I'll just I'll acknowledge the uncomfortable thing right up front. How many of us every day are like, I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't really want to do this. There's a little booklet out there, like 40 or 50 pages, What If I Don't Desire to Pray, uh, to help encourage you that prayer is one of the absolute ground-level fundamentals of the Christian faith. Without prayer, we are lacking on so much communion and fellowship with God, and he calls us to himself in prayer. So if you are looking to grow in your life with Christ through prayer, I hope you are. Please avail yourself of those resources out there. This morning, James chapter 5, if you are there, working through this series that I have called One Another. This morning, One Another, pray. I've been talking for a few weeks now. The church is to be a compelling, Christ-created community. It is made up of those who, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. It is not intended that Christians would live alone. Where you have one Christian, you have one disciple of Jesus Christ who should be reaching, as we were talking in the men's Sunday school this morning, who should be reaching through evangelism to see God convert another soul. And then you have two Christians, and there's community. And there, if those two go and reach one, there's four, and it begins to multiply out. This is God's program in the world. It is no church program. It is no scheme of man. It is God's program for growing his community. People are saved. God brings them into his community. We call that community the church of the living God. One of the ways that we fulfill being a compelling Christ-created community is found in how we live life with one another. For any person in the room that has ever struggled looking at Christians that has ever seen the worst of them, there are two things at work. One, our forgetfulness that we are fallen and in need of a Savior. We're going to mess up. We're, we're going to sin against one another. We talked about that last week. That's why we need to forgive one another. And also, our responsibility to obey the commands of God found in Scripture to living life together with one another. We've looked at two so far, the command to love one another as Christ has loved us, and the command to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. These two do not come easy, nor do the rest of them. The discipline to pray is difficult, but if we work and strive at getting love one another and forgive one another, the others will come a little easier. As we love and as we forgive, as we fulfill the law of Christ, the others will become easier. If I have love for you, if I'm willing to forgive you, it's going to be easier for me to bow my knee and go before the throne of grace on your behalf, not just on my own behalf. And so as we look at these, I hope that you can see through this progression of sermons that love and forgive help us in the rest. 
Today we'll examine the command of God's people to pray for one another. If you are in James chapter 5, down to the 16th verse is where I'd like you to look. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I memorized that verse for those that are like, what, what, what version of the Bible do you read? I use the English Standard Version on a regular daily basis. I spent most of my young life in the New International Version, but this is one that I memorized as a young child in the King James. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And all the good Baptists in the room said, amen. I saw heads nodding and people were like, that's how I memorized it, right? Nothing wrong with King James Bible whatsoever. I just remember dwelling on those words as a child, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person, man. Is your prayer fervent? Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, woman, whatever the case may be for you in your seat this morning, Effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous. Our prayers first, we must be born again. Or our prayers will be neither fervent or effectual. We need the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to even dare to presume that we would take the time to bow our knee. One another pray. My goal through study and prayer and with the help of the Holy Spirit is to highlight one why we pray for one another, and two, how we pray for one another. And my hope in that is that you will see how thin of a line separates how and why. As I studied it, I almost, I was becoming undone with, wait, is this, is this why or is this how? I have this under how, but maybe it goes under why. Like the line gets so thin between why we pray for one another and how we pray for one another. I hope that you will see that. And I hope that God's word will challenge you in your life with him to pray for one another. My prayer also is that through this teaching this morning, we will have a renewed commitment to obey the command of God to pray for one another. So we have the responsibility again to look around the room at the people who are with us. First and foremost, we are called to pray for those that we are gathered with in this room. Pray for one another. Then that extends out. Pray for one another. This letter, James, is written to Christians. Christians are to pray for other Christians. So as we look out, we are to pray for other Christians in other churches, other Christians in other communities, other Christians in other countries, on other continents. We are to be praying for other Christians. Why pray for one another? Why? As seen in our text, the Bible tells us to. You see in verse 16, pray for one another. I could have chosen other texts that illustrate this. This is the verse that actually says the words, pray for one another. But we see all throughout the New Testament the call of God's people to lift God's people up in prayer. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 to pray at all times, making all prayer for the saints. We are to lift one another in prayer. I could though I won't leave it at this because we'd have to eat and maybe the food's not ready yet. I could simply say, why do we pray for one another? Because God's word says so, amen. That's the brutal truth, the base reality of why to pray for one another. Why do we pray for one another? I don't want to pray for that guy. Hey, take that up with the Lord. He tells you to pray for him. I don't want to pray for that couple in their marriage. Hey, take it up with the Lord. He's the one that tells you to pray. You are disobeying God to not pray for one another. Ouch. Man, I, I want to get this out of the way. A disclaimer for you this morning. I'm so guilty of this. Forgive me for not praying for you as I ought. Guilty. You name the reason, I am guilty of not praying for you as I ought. And I was under severe conviction this week in my prayer life for not lifting up as often as I should the saints that are around me. How different would our lives with one another look if we were praying for one another? If God were tenderizing our heart toward the compelling community that we are supposed to be, if I were softened to your rough edges, if you were softened to my ignorance as we prayed for one another, as we saw God's grace for us and he humbles us, how much more tender would we become as we pray for one another? Why pray for one another? The verse says, therefore, 
If you've been with me in my teaching for any amount of time, you know that my father instilled in me that you cannot start at a therefore without looking backwards. It's, it's impossible for me to do, and it should be for you. This is a rule that you should write down. If this is not a rule in your Bible reading, make it one. When you see therefore, you go backwards and see what was said because what was just said is going to bear on what is about to be said. What does he say? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Those are good words. But why are we doing that? Why are we confessing sins to one another? Look in verse 13 through 15. James is giving us the New Testament model and example of how followers of God should seek and desire healing after the resurrection of Christ. There are numerous crazy things out there in the world about how to pray for one another for healing. Do you notice what he says? He talks in verse 13, 14, 15. Are you sick? Are you suffering? Are you encouraged? Are you cheerful? Pray. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. What? Save the one who is sick. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. I backed up to see that context to remind ourselves that the reason we pray for one another is because we are sin-weakened, sick people. It's better if we just acknowledge it. We're weakened by sin, and we are sick. Even in our redemption, you're like, Pastor, I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ. I know. Did you live perfectly yesterday? No. No, you didn't. Because we are weakened by sin. Our best efforts are flawed. This is, we talked a couple of weeks ago. Depravity is a word that sometimes can trigger certain people, but it means this. It means no aspect of our life is left untouched. By sin. Sin has affected everything about us. Not to say that we are as sinful as we can be, but sin has injured the image of God in us, and so we struggle against sin. We are sin-weakened, sick people. And the remedy that God gives by the Holy Spirit through James to Christians then and to us today is to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Read it. Look at it for yourself. That you may be healed. I don't know how many pastors are going to talk about this in the world today, but that's what you're going to hear about here. We pray for one another because we are sin-weakened, sick people. If you are sick, you need to understand first that the root symptom, the root cause of your sickness is sin, not necessarily your sin. Original sin by Adam in the garden, we talked about last week as we looked at our need to forgive one another. Why do we need to be forgiven? Because we are weakened by the original sin of man in the garden, and we are weakened by our own ongoing sin. The first sin of man, Adam in the garden, broke mankind. We are broken. We have forever been a sin-weakened, sick people since Adam sinned in the garden. We need forgiveness. And so... Original sin has made all of us sick. We need healing. However, there is absolutely sin in the world that causes sickness. Every sickness you can identify in the world, whether it's a a cold or a sniffle, that did not exist before Adam's sin. Whether it's a chronic cough, whether it's just, I'm just, I'm weak and I'm, I'm frail. Sin has caused that. We must understand this. Sin has caused that, but sin has caused so much more as well. We face sickness because of sin. Sometimes sin brings on greater sickness. There are sinful patterns of living that certainly will bring the effects of sin to bear more on people's lives. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm talking about AIDS. I'm talking about sexually transmitted diseases. Those things are the result of man's choosing to sin. That's why that had the why, why are we not all walking around with that? Because some of us don't choose to sin and receive that punishment in our body. Romans chapter 1, check it if you don't believe me. Receiving the due punishment in their body for their sin. However, things that we can't explain, sicknesses that we cannot understand. Why do people get cancer? Why does this happen? Why do such healthy people? collapse and die for no reason because sin has weakened all of mankind. 
That's a tough pill to swallow. Sin has weakened us all. Praise God for the strength that we find in our weakness through faith in Jesus Christ. We may still bear in our bodies physical punishment for sin, but we will have eternal life. Praise God for Christ and his work. If you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, our verse today, confess your sins to one another. Listen, confess your sins to one another is not just my sin against you or your sin against me. Therefore, confess your sins to one another is my private sin that I don't want you to know about. It's your private sin that you don't want me to know about. And we all know this exists. To some extent, this exists in all of us. Those gross, those shameful, those embarrassing sins in the recesses of our life that we don't want someone to know about, God says, confess that to one another. And all God's people said, that's hard. To go to someone and to confess I struggle here. This has been a sin problem for me. I need you to pray. Look what it says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It's not your responsibility to judge me for my sin. It's not my responsibility to judge you for your sin. It is our responsibility when sin is confessed one to another to pray for one another. Pastor, this is a sin struggle in my life. Brother, sister, I struggle in this sin. Let me pray for you. Will you pray for me? Let us pray for one another. It doesn't say confess your sin. Confess your sin against one another to one another. It says confess your sins to one another. I want to make a note here. Perhaps it will help someone the way it has helped me. Confess your sins. Not necessarily your struggles. Not necessarily your temptations. Not necessarily, I'm using that word on purpose, not necessarily those areas where you are weak, your sins. When you sin, confess it. Why? Because, contrary to popular belief, your temptation is not sin. When those thoughts come into your mind naturally in your sin-weakened, sick condition, that is not sin. James chapter 1 is so clear on it. Sin happens when you act on those temptations and those desires. That is where sin, James 1, is so clear. In fact, it's just a couple pages back. Look for it so you're not taking my word. James chapter 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's when temptation happens. Own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Notice. Lured and enticed by your own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. You're going to have tempting thoughts as long as you live in what Paul calls this body of death. Always. I heard a pastor not long ago say, no church would hire me if they knew the thoughts that came through my mind. How true of every one of us in the room. If you knew the thoughts, the lusts, the hate, the anger, the jealousy, the rage... How many of us on a daily basis face some of these things and others as well? That thought comes in our mind. What do we do? This is why Paul says in Corinthians, take that captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Why do I have this thought? I don't want to have this thought. You're going to have the thought because you are a sin-weakened, sick person. God is, praise his name, healing you unto eternity. You're being sanctified, praise the Lord. But you're going to wrestle with those thoughts as long as you live in this body of death. Why? What do I do? Sometimes you confess those struggles to someone. I have found great liberty in my life confessing those temptations to people. Listen, this is a problem. Brother, 
I have this problem. You'll notice, I don't address my problems to a sister. Men, meet with a man. Women, meet with a woman. Confess your sins to one another. Married couples, meet with a married couple. Meet with a pastor. Like, find someone that you can say, I have found great help and great liberty in accountability and saying, please help me. I struggle here. Would you, would you stand guard in my life? But it is, at the end of the day, sin that we must confess to one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And it goes on to say, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because sin-weakened, sick people need healing. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we will ultimately see the victory of Jesus Christ when we enter into eternity with our God. We sing the song, saved to sin no more. In this life, we will struggle. However, also in this life, we will see victory that belongs to Jesus over various sin in our life. There are sins that I committed yesteryear that I don't commit anymore. Why? Because I'm so mature, because I'm so strong, because I have everything all figured out? No, because I have seen the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in that area of my life, and now I live mindful of that sinful past, and I guard against temptation, and I am sanctified by the Holy Spirit so that it becomes, what did we learn last week in forgiveness? It becomes removed as far as east is from west. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Somehow, in God's infinite wisdom, one of the ways that he heals sin-weakened, sick people is in our praying for one another. And so now I want you to think about your sin-weakened, sick condition that you struggle every day, every hour, sometimes minute by minute to overcome, and every day, as I have in my own life, you wrestle with, why can't I get over this? Why can't I see the victory of Christ in this? Why am I under this? And when was the last time you went and confessed that sin to someone? And when was the last time you prayed for someone when they came to you so that both of you could see the grace of God manifested in one another's life as you prayed for healing from our sickness? Sin is a sickness. And in God's economy, he chooses to use our praying as a mode of healing for sick people. You'll reference again that I'm not talking about those in the world. I'm talking about Christians. If you are here today and you are not through faith in Jesus Christ, saved by God's grace, and the Bible talks about assurance all over the place that you may know, that you may know that you are saved. Our salvation does not come by way of doubt or by way of I've got to learn certain things. You know that God has saved you. John wrote a gospel about it. First John, you can read that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're here today and you do not know if you have eternal life, then there's a really good place to start. The Bible says, confess your sin to God. Repent and return to God that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Call out on the Lord. Father, forgive me. God is holy. He created man, and in our sin, we have separated ourselves from God. But God, sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to return to the Father through faith in the sacrificial death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have doubt, I would love to talk with you more about that today. You don't need to talk to me, though. I'm no holy man that can help you. You can call out to the Lord where you sit. Father, forgive me. I recognize my sin. I see Christ the Savior. Save me, God. Pray for one another that you may be healed. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples and us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and his best friends couldn't stay awake, he came back to them and said, watch and what? Pray that you may not what? Fall into temptation. We are most thankful for passages of scripture that help us see God's grace in forgiving our sin. 1 John 1, 9 is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God, his promise to us. 
How often do you think about praying ahead of your fleshly weakness that God would strengthen you when temptation comes? How often are you out ahead of your sin-weakened, sick flesh saying, Oh God, please protect me. Or are you saying, God, forgive me. I'll protect myself now. I got it. Because you can't protect yourself from the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. If you could, God wouldn't have given you armor to wear against them. You need God's help. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Sin-weakened, sick people have a flesh that runs contrary to God's desire. Why do I not do what God says to do? Because your flesh is weakened and you sin. Your own desire, your own desire pulls you away. Even after new birth, your own desire pulling you away from the desires of God and the word of God to obey God. This is why we need salvation. A dead soul lost in sin is living apart from God's grace and cannot do anything about it. But for those who through faith in Jesus Christ have turned that temptation, we now have the ability by God the Holy Spirit to put away that temptation. And God says to call on him for help. And God says, did you notice in Matthew, I quoted it. You can look for yourself if you'd like to, Matthew 6. Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. Lead us not not." Lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Do you ever get out ahead of your fleshly weakness and pray for God to protect you? Do you ever get out ahead of somebody else's weakened flesh and pray for God to protect them? This is the one that convicted me the most this week. You know, often in my life I've stood around and simply said, what in the world is wrong with them? Why can't they get their life right? <laughs> you know, often I've watched some of your lives and stood with my own judgment on your weakness. Instead of bowing my knee to a holy God and saying, Father, lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil. If you have stood by and simply watched other Christians struggle and strive against sin and wondered what in the world is wrong with them, but you have never bowed your knee to God on high and prayed for the protection and deliverance of that very Christian who's struggling in that sin, then I say to me, shame on myself. Shame on you and shame on us for not fulfilling the righteous demands of God's law. Why do we pray for one another? Ultimately, because it is obedience to God. God says to pray for one another. One of the many reasons we pray for one another is because we are sin-weakened, sick people needing healing. And when we pray, God heals sin-weakened, sick people. Other reasons to pray for one another. I wrote these few down. You probably can find more if you study this out through the week. We pray to seek God's protection from the evil one. We pray to thank and praise God because he has saved us. We pray for one another to ask God for spiritual growth and strengthening. I'm going to move into how can we pray for one another, and I would imagine that you'll see, it came very clearly to me, I would imagine that you will see that thin line that separates why we pray and how we pray for one another, and I think that why and how help to motivate when we more clearly understand them, we will pray more effectively for one another. How can we pray for one another? This is like, think about the words you utter to a holy God when you pray for the person next to you. Right? Because people say all the time, how often have I asked you? How often have you maybe asked somebody else, how can I pray for you? It's a good, it's a good question. I hope you're asking it. How can I pray for you? I won't pray for you if I don't know how to. 
If you tell me, hey, please pray for me, I might remember. If I ask you, how can I pray for you? One, I better follow through, or if not, my word is no good to you. This is why it's awesome and really good to pray for someone right when they say, can you pray for me? Yes, I can right now. Let's pray. How can we pray for one another? Think about the words that come out of your mouth to the God of all creation on behalf of another person. First, as we've seen in our text this morning, we pray for healing as we confess our sins, pray for one another. I love what it says. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What is that saying? God's wisdom that we don't understand gives healing to people as God's people clothed in his righteousness pray for one another in light of the confession of sin. I wish I could say that again, but it's not in my notes. So the Holy Spirit just gave us good guidance from his word. God heals us when we pray for one another as we confess our sin to one another by his design. We pray for one another that we may have God's protection from the evil one. Matthew 6.13 says, lead us not into temptation. We like that. The end of the verse says, but deliver us from, the English standard says evil. Many other English translations literally say evil one. That is the enemy. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Us, one another. Deliver God, my brother, in his work from the evil one. Deliver God, my sister, from her temptation with how awful her husband is to her from the evil one. Deliver us, God, from temptation and the evil one. How often have you ever prayed, God, deliver them from the evil one? Homes that are just an absolute disaster inside. And they come and look great every Sunday, but they're a wreck and everyone knows it, including them. And how often do we stand around saying, what a wreck. And we never bow a knee and we never say, oh God, would you deliver them from the evil one because Satan is at work among them. Guilty. I wrote this down. How can we pray for others to have protection from the evil. And I wrote this down as a genuine prayer for you and for us. Father in heaven, glory to you and you alone. Protect my brothers and sisters from the great deceiver, the enemy of you and your people. We need to understand that when Satan is not at work, God is withholding him. It's not because we are so good and we are so holy. Only God can repel Satan. Oh, Father, deliver us from the evil one. We pray for one another with thanksgiving to God for what he has done in saving sinners. Find your way to Colossians. You're going to need it. Colossians chapter, I think chapter 1. We pray for one another with thanksgiving to God for what he has done in saving sinners. If you're here this morning with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and other people in the room don't know that you're sitting here this morning with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's something fundamentally wrong with our life with one another. We should know believers in Christ when we gather together. I'm thankful to know many testimonies. I know others are also thankful to know many testimonies in the room of God's grace. But when we sit here looking at one another, singing, in moments when we go down and share a meal together with one another, the first thought that we ought to have is, I didn't get any meatballs and they did. Our first thought should be, praise God for his grace in saving that sinner. And how often do we look out on our Christian brothers and sisters and think, God, thank you for demonstrating your love and your great grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for saving that sinner. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3. How can we pray for one another? Look what Paul writes about the church at Colossae. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, look it, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now 
Paul thanking God for the work of the gospel, the partnership of the gospel that is found through the church at Colossae, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see these, and what I'm hoping to do in putting your eyes on these words, on these pages, is to arm you and equip you with prayers that you can pray for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, How many people know the Corinthian church is an absolute disaster? They are an absolute wreck. I've said many times, we could take out to the saints of the church of God in America because we see such similarities between the disintegration of the church at Corinth and we see such similarities to the church in America, but the reality is it's the church of everywhere throughout all of time because we are sin-weakened, sick people. But look what Paul says. Before he gets into, I have this against you, and this is not good, and you need to do something about this. Look what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He goes on in the words he offers in verses 5 through 9 are so wonderful. But he starts off by telling them, just think, those that have read the word and that know this book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, think of all the terrible things he's about to say to them. But first he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I wrote this down. Literal prayer. When I think of you, when I pray for you, I remember what Paul wrote to them and I say, God, I thank you for the grace that you have given to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not my brothers and sisters in Christ. He gave my brothers and sisters Grace in Christ. The grace I see in you is because of Jesus. God gave that to you. My ability to forgive your faults and to look past the misgivings, my ability to do that comes because I know that God has given grace. Our ability to do that with one another. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ. When was the last time you offered a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the grace of God in someone else? Guilty. Guilty, I couldn't tell you. I may, I, may, I may have never done that. Shame on me. How much different would our outlook be if we recognized the grace of God in others? Paul said in Philippians, look out not only for your own interests, but to the interests of others. I have no greater value in your interests than knowing that God has given you grace in Christ. And how often do I go to God in thanksgiving for what he has done in saving you? We pray for one another that we may have protection from the enemy because we are sin-weakened, sick people that need healing. We pray for one another giving thanks to God because he has saved us. We pray for one another asking God to give growth. Find your way to Ephesians chapter 1. Some people are thinking, Pastor, you haven't used this much of the Bible in a long time. No, I just spared you from flipping pages for a long time. It's good to flip pages in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. We pray for one another, asking God to give growth and strength in Christ. Remember earlier when we were talking about looking at a person's faults and sin and not praying that God would deliver them from evil and temptation? Remember that? Along with that comes also looking at a believer who is struggling in sin, who is weakened by the flesh, who is struggling to live the righteous decrees of God. Along with that is saying, God, would you strengthen them and help them to grow because they can't do it on their own and I can't do it for them. Paul said, the one who shares the gospel plants. The one who furthers the gospel waters. This is the language of 1 Corinthians. The one who plants, the one who waters. Talking about sharing the gospel. The one who shares the gospel. The one who furthers the gospel. Will receive their reward for their work. <laughs> but Paul says, but neither of them are anything. Well, that's a feel-good sermon. If you plant and you water the gospel, you don't count. But you do count because God told you to do it. So doing it is obedience. So share the gospel. Water the gospel but only God gives the growth. 
There is a miracle work that we cannot do. We can share the gospel. We can further the gospel by watering it. But we cannot make the gospel growth. If only God gives growth, then what is our greatest need as Christians? To pray for one another that God would give growth. If only God gives growth, then we have come to our end. A good friend of mine used to say, we're in no greater place than to come to our end and pray to God. I can plant the gospel, I can further the gospel, but once I've done that, I've done everything that I can do. I can only then seek to maintain my own life before Christ and to live a holy example that the gospel will still remain attractive to that person and they will confess sin and be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But once I've planted and once I've watered, no matter how often I do that, I've done everything that I can do. And then what? Oh God, would you bring that seed to grow, to bear fruit Again, if you look around at stagnant nominal Christians and wonder what is their deal, but you do not pray for them, you are not obeying the command of Christ to pray for one another. Praying for the growth of one another will, as I've said, cause us to be more tender to one another. You have no idea how difficult it is for a pastor or any person who gives their life to studying God's word. This is is just honest confessions for me to you. I study and read God's word so often that I struggle when others don't. It's very hard for me. I want to sit in judgment of you. Sometimes I do, and then I confess that. Oh, God, forgive me. I just want to condemn people for their lack of reading the Bible. While in my own self-righteousness, never bow my knee and say, God, bring growth to that person. May they grow to love, to understand, to appreciate. God, open the eyes of their heart that they may see, Father, the beauty and the richness of your word written to them. Instead, I sit back and say, lazy Christians. What am I even going to preach on this Sunday if they're not going to listen to the Bible? I just, oh, forgive me. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Ephesians chapter 1, look at what Paul says, verse 17. That the gift, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Look what he says. He starts this off by saying, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, middle of verse 15, and your love toward all the saints, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and revelation. Flip the page to Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, that's a really good one-off, Paul, but I need more than that. Oh, don't worry. The Holy Spirit gave it to him to give to us. In chapter 3, look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, these are two awesome prayers for the saints. You may be here saying, I'm not sure how to pray for one another. May I give you a live demonstration? Would you just join me as I pray for you? This is just a pastor giving you literal, practical application of how to pray this for one another. Would you just join with me as I pray? Father, I praise you, God in heaven, through whom everyone on earth joined through faith in Christ is named and known 
God, I pray that for those here gathered, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant that they be strengthened with power through your spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. In his name we pray, amen. I pray this for you. And if you want to know how to pray for me and how to pray for one another, you open the scripture, you find those prayers of the saints and you pray them for one another to God. And everybody said, that's really simple. Yes, because God has written his word to us to help us along in following him. Other scriptural prayers that you can look up. I have these. If you didn't write them down, please see me. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. Perhaps you often lift up others in prayer. How often do our prayers fall at, Father, would you heal them from this sickness? Father, would you help them find a job? Father, would you provide for that bill? Father, would you help their neighbor's son's friend who is in that car accident? Like, these are not wrong things. These are good things to pray for and to lift up other people in prayer. But when we start boiling down to how God tells us to pray for one another, it is always at the spiritual heart of the believer. God, would you strengthen? God, would you protect? God, would you defend? Father, would you build up? Would you Send the gospel out through them. Oh my goodness. In your life, working to pray for one another, here I pray are some helpful considerations for you that will help you to apply the reality of praying for one another. Why and how? One, pray the word. I hope that has been most clear in this message this morning. Open God's word and pray the prayers that are written there to God for each other. Pray the word. Pray intentionally. I think we're a little too casual with our prayer sometimes. I think it may be just a drive-through prayer, so to speak. Oh, Lord, watch out for Joe today. Like, what? Good, that's good. We see those in Scripture too. Nehemiah once prayed, oh, God, strengthen my hands. It's all he could get out in the moment. But when you bend your knee and say, Father, I know Joe's going to go to work today and he faces the world. And I know that the temptations of the world in his line of work abound and there are many. Oh God, I pray for strength in Joe's life. I pray that you build him up in your word and strengthen him by the power of your spirit, Father, and that you would give boldness with the gospel for Joe in his life at work today. Pray intentionally and pray always. What I don't want you to hear me say is just take one time once a day to pray for someone. Paul in Ephesians says pray at all times with all kinds of prayer. Always making prayer for the saints. To that end, he writes in Ephesians 6.18, keep alert with all perseverance and earnest prayer for all the saints. Pray intentionally. Pray always. Pray the word. Pray specifically. Pastor, you just said that. Uh, Kind of. In your bulletin this morning is a weekly prayer guide for this week. If you didn't pick one up, do so. If you want to pray for one another, no needs that are represented among the body of Christ. On one side, prayers for the church. On another side, prayers for our nation, for local concerns. Prayers for saints who are going through things. We're having a potluck for Jared and Emma Buswell. They're moving to North Carolina. Praise the Lord. Their greatest need isn't a potluck at church. It's brothers and sisters in Christ saying, oh God, go before them. Protect the way. Provide the way. Give them housing. Find a church, God, that they can go to, that they can be built up. That's how we pray for one another. Not just, oh God, watch over them. Hope they enjoyed the potluck. Pray specifically. You know the number one way to grow in praying for one another? And then we'll close in prayer. Pray with one another. Pray with one another. You want to pray for one another well? Then meet and pray. Here it comes. Pastor's going to tell us, come to prayer meeting. Yeah, of course I am. Gather with Christians and pray. The greatest discipline lacking in the church is the one thing we all fail to do so often. So how do we grow in praying for one another? I call you. I send you a text message. You call me. You stop by. I stop by. 
We meet on Wednesday nights. We meet in the hall on Sunday mornings. The greatest way to pray for one another is to pray with one another. Listen to the prayers of the saints' heart to God. Join with one another. Hey, would you join me in praying for? We, we praise God for the movement that we're seeing for the cause of the gospel at the schools. You know why? Because we've been saying for how long? Let's join together in praying. God, would you and Christians come together? We praise God for that. How much more would we praise God if we see someone in this room struggling against sin be delivered from temptation and delivered from the evil one because we obeyed God's command to pray for one another? I think I've driven the point home. Let's pray. God, I know that my best attempt will be nothing if you have not used your word. And so I pray, Father, help us to see the desperate need that we have in one another's life to pray for one another. Father, we praise you that we can come to you with our cares, with our burdens, that we can come to you with our sin that we can seek you for strength in our own life, for protection from the evil one as we go about our day. Oh God, would you help us to see the great need that each of us have from one another to pray for these same things. Father, I pray that you would build our prayer muscles. God, that it would not be something we do only when we think about it, that it would not be only when we are in a moment of need, but God, that we would rise early and pray often. Father, that we would be in such community with one another. This is what you have designed, what you have called us to. God, I pray that we'd be in such community with one another that we are knowing the daily needs and cares of the saints around us. Father, encourage us through your word as we see the saints offering prayers in your word to pray those for those around us. May we continue to learn. Father, that in our greatest need, in our sin-weakened, sick condition, you have opened your throne for us to come to and pray. May it not be a last resort, Father. Help us to become tender to one another through prayer. Help genuine affection and care to grow as we pray and know the needs that are present. Father, we praise you for this time. We praise you for your word. We praise you that Jesus Christ, our high priest who knows our sin and did not sin, we praise you that you set the perfect example in making intercession for us. May we follow your example, our Lord, our God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.